Well, thank you so much, worship team. We really appreciate you leading us in worship. And we find ourselves today uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, for the, uh, or since last week, in, in last week's sermon, we talked about uh, the grace of God enabling, enabling us to um, work or live in submission in a lot of different ways. We said, first of all, that in James 4, 7, that authority comes from God, and he's the creator of heaven, and he's the creator of earth, and we, as individual Christians, are commanded to submit to him. Have you ever thought about the word submission? Mission is one part of the word, but sub. Our mission, and we sub under it. In other words, we submit to the will of another. Our mission is submitted to the mission of another. And we uh, talked about last week how we, uh, in times of persecution, can deliver to the world a picture of God's grace in some of the most simple and uh, uh, mundane relationships of life. I read to you from G. Campbell Morgan this uh, commentary on these uh, scriptures. Grace is, the, is also the secret of conduct. This is illustrated in the simplest relation or relations. In all the apostolic writings, the most radiant, beautiful things of the Christian life are spoken of as being exhibited where the world would be least likely to look for them, such as submitting to government, submitting to government, or uh, submitting to or servants submitting to masters. And in, in uh, modern day uh, terms, that would be employees submitting to employers. And this week, we find ourselves uh, in a, uh, another relationship where submission is involved. Wives submitting to their husbands. Now, before we dive into that and read the scriptures, I just want to, uh, you know, just talk about all the different ways that submission is presented in the New Testament, or many of the different uh, ways. There might be more. Remember this in Luke uh, 2, Jesus submitted to his parents. Jesus submitted to his parents. And we've talked about last week, 1 Peter 2, Titus 3, Romans 13, that citizens should submit to government authorities. Our Christian citizens should submit to government authority. Well, 1 Peter 3, unseen spiritual beings submit to Jesus. We're going to see that. Christians should submit to their church leaders in the appropriate way, not in any inappropriate way. You could look that up in 1 Corinthians 16, 15 and 16. Also here in this book, 1 Peter 5, 5. How about this one in Ephesians 5, verse 24? The church should submit to Jesus. We talked about servants uh, submitting to masters. And so throughout the Bible, we see that God creates order among relationships and amongst institutions, right? He creates order. Order. And so we're going to examine one uh, big relationship in which God is asking for submission. 
Let me read it to you. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Uh, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, verse 7, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for uh, reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayers. Uh, But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, let's pray uh, as we uh, tackle this tough subject for many, uh, but such a blessed subject. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you that you've given us this word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give us hearts to obey this word in our homes where you've called for order, not superiority. And I just ask, Lord, that you would make our hearts tender and humble and teachable as we need that now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, here we start out with another um, relationship in which God has called people to submit. In this case, he's called wives to submit to their husbands. And you see something here, uh, a word called likewise, or, or the word likewise. It means in the same manner, in the same manner that we are to submit to God, James 4, 7, in the same manner in which we're to uh, uh, Submit to the governing authorities in the same manner in which servants are to submit to masters or employees or to uh, submit to employers. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, first thing that you should note from this and you should recognize is it's not calling ladies to submit to men. No, not at all. It's asking that People who are married, wives and husbands, that the wife be submissive to her own husband. 
In this sense, what does submissive mean? It means that you place yourself under the authority of, and you're never leaving. You're never leaving. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, we know this doesn't mean superiority. The Bible tells us in Galatians that in Christ there's neither male nor female. In other words, we're all equal, male, female, this color, that color, this socioeconomic uh, uh, status, that socioeconomic status. We're all equal in Christ. Women are not inferior to men. And yet, God calls for an order in certain places, in government in employer-employee relationships, uh, uh, parent-children relationships. And now we're going to examine this order, wives submitting to their own husbands, submitting to their own husbands. That if, even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. What is this getting at? Well, think about it. There was in the Roman provinces a new religion, through the book of Acts, being spread by the uh, disciples and the, uh, uh, the followers of Christ and by the Holy Spirit who was convicting people and setting up churches. And sometimes men would come to the Lord and women who were uh, maybe of a pagan religion or no religion at all, and the children uh, uh, would then examine um, uh, what was happening with the husband. But here, Peter chooses to deal with the situation in which a wife has come to know the Lord in a real and saving way, in a real and saving way. Out of these areas that he's writing to in Asia Minor, Turkey, And when a wife has come out uh, and surrendered her life to Jesus Christ, naturally there becomes questions, maybe from the husband. Well, wait a minute. What does that mean? You're in love with a man called Jesus or a person called Jesus? What does that have to do with our relationship? How does that impact our relationship? Are you going to leave me? Are you going to uh, go and marry somebody that has the same faith as you? And Peter starts to answer these questions that would pop up within the family. He says to the wives, first, notice though, he's going to talk to the husbands. Uh, By the way, rabbit trail, Paul also does that in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to examine some of that today. But in this case, he says, wives, likewise, in the same manner, uh, put yourself under the authority in hierarchy or order, not that you're spiritually inferior or personally inferior, you're not. But in the home, see, there's an opportunity to show your submissiveness to the Lord by agreeing and embracing submission. We're not talking here about what one author calls a sulking, sulk, S-U-L-K-I-N-G, surrender to authority, but an active embrace of that authority, which means it's not only the actions that we have, it's also the heart attitude that we have when we're submitting to government, when we're submitting to masters or employers, or when we're submitting to husbands. Here, he says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Why? That even if some do not obey the word, 
they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. You see that? If the husband doesn't obey the word, why would he? He's not a Christian. Why would he obey the word? Then you, wife, may still be able to win this one, your husband, the one that you love, simply by your conduct. Of course, there will be times when you will share the gospel, but what is happening is, is you have a captive audience right there in your home. I want you to see something here. I want you to see something. I want you to see the hound of heaven. Did you hear what I said? The hound of heaven. God is concerned with people within your families. People within your families. Even when they're adversarial or uh, to, to what you believe. Here, the Lord says, okay, be submissive, even to your own husband, even if he doesn't obey the word, that you may, as I uh, work in and through you, the Lord's saying, may be won by the conduct uh, of, your, of the wives, of, of your life, wife. When they observe your chaste conduct, your pure conduct, your integrity, your gentleness, accompanied by your reverence and your fear, not fear for the husband, but your respect and your awe of the one who's come and saved you. As they watch your life be changed and molded and modeled after Christ, may this chaste conduct be a witness to husbands, even in your own home, who don't believe. And then it says in verse 3, and don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair. Just quickly, as we read through this, Peter here is not condemning the outward appearance. He's not saying you shouldn't look nice or have a nice, uh, or nice clothes or put on makeup or whatever it is. What he's saying is, don't let it be merely outward. If you focus everything on the outward to keep your mate happy, that won't work. Now that you're in the family of God, Christian wife, there is a greater and higher purpose for your life with your husband. And that is through your life, by the gospel, by the spirit, and the, the way in which your life works, the sweetness, the forgiveness, the uh, power, the strength, the gentleness, the quiet spirit, we'll get to that, that becomes a real witness to the husband. So just arranging the hair or wearing gold or putting fine apparel, that doesn't do it for the ultimate purpose of winning the husband. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. What the Lord does in a person, a lady, a wife who comes to know the Lord, or a young lady who comes to know the Lord, is that he changes his heart. Of course, looking nice is fine and good, and you should do that. Yet it's not your focus. What your focus is, is that inner person, that inner heart, that incorruptible beauty that's adorned with, look at this, gentleness and quiet spirit. Remember, that word gentle there is not um, weakness. No, 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 no. What that word is, is uh, power under control. It's a person, a lady, a wife who knows who they are in Christ. They're so loved. And Christ has given them a mission, even right there in their home, 
to show uh, their spouse what it is to live as a Christian, loving the Lord in fear. Of course you look nice, but what the Lord starts to do is to give you that strength and resource and grace of gentleness that pours out of you and oozes out of you in your daily life. It even gives you what's called a quiet spirit, a quiet spirit. You're gentle and quiet. Not that you don't say anything. No, within the marriage relationship, as we'll see, you're always free to express your thoughts and your ideas and your recommendations, but that you have a a quiet uh, 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 trust in relationship with the Lord, one that you know and are confident in, this trust and faith and that the Lord is working in all things in your life, including in the relationship that God's given you right there in the home. Rather, let uh, the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty, see that's beautiful, that's beautiful, of a gentle and quiet spirit. This, ladies and men, is very precious in the sight of God. You see that? God's after our hearts. He's after our Christ-likeness. He's molding and shaping and bringing us to a place of holiness that is gentle and uh, with a quiet, determined, trustful, faithful spirit. How beautiful is that? Well, for in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. And now they use an example, the writer does. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you are do good, or excuse me, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, one of the stories you could go back and look at, maybe that um, the writer here is referring to, is in uh, Genesis 12. Abraham and Sarah find themselves in the land of Canaan, and there's a great famine, and they don't know what to do. And Abraham gets this great idea, gets this great idea to go back or to go into, excuse me, uh, the uh, land of Egypt, to go into the land of Egypt and to meet with Pharaoh and to see if he can get uh, some uh, resources to uh, feed his family and to, to survive. And as they're on their way, do you remember this? <laughs> he actually makes a big blunder. He says to Sarah, hey, Sarah, I want you to tell Pharaoh, I want you to tell Pharaoh, please, I think it's for the best. I think what we should do is we should tell Pharaoh that you're my sister and not my wife because you're a very beautiful lady. And if I do that, it just might be that he might take you and make him or put you in his harem. So let's do that. Let's just agree and plan on uh, you doing that. And so uh, they get down there, and uh, uh, you know the story in Genesis 12. Uh, <laughs> they do this thing where they uh, call Sarah his sister. And what's miraculous about it is it's a big mistake. Pharaoh finds it out. But in the meantime, reread the section, God sends a plague. God sends a plague. And so Sarah is protected from Pharaoh. At the same time, uh, both Abraham and Sarah are given uh, livestock and herds uh, to get them out of the place. And so God, even in the midst of Abraham's blunder, look at this, protects the wife and moves them on 
to uh, life journeying with him. And in one sense, you see here, Abraham, or excuse me, Sarah, submitted to this uh, authority of Abraham even when Abraham was wrong. Even when Abraham was wrong. There's this thing uh, that God is calling us to as wives or calling uh, others who are ladies uh, as wives, and that's to submission, to stay under the authority of their husbands. And sometimes, even after they've expressed their opinions and they've talked about it and prayed with their husbands, well, uh, sometimes uh, there's, this even, there's even this thing where the wife will support and be a helpmate, that's what they're intended for, Genesis, uh, with their husband, and they walk through uh, things with their husband even when their husbands have failed. Wow, that's sticking in there with their husband and being submitted to them. Now, uh, another uh, timeout or a rabbit trail. <laughs> no one here is talking about abuse. N- nobody's talking about that. If you're being abused, then you should get away from the abuse and get safe. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about in the normal course of life, uh, when we have to make decisions or uh, decide things or go in a different direction or uh, you, uh, uh, the, the husband has a dream of this ministry or that ministry and you don't know whether your husband's cut out for that and yet you uh, hang in there with him. You submit to it and you support him and become your helpmate. And here in verse 7, as we move on to the husband's, we get a clear picture of how all of this works. It's been so one-sided here so far in Peter, 1 Peter 3. But look at this in chapter or verse 7 of 1 Peter 3. Husbands, likewise. Likewise what? Likewise, in submission. In submission. We'll talk about that in a minute. Dwell with them. Who? The wives. With understanding. How do you understand your wife? Well, we'll see it in Ephesians when we move there. We give ourselves to her. We talk with her. We uh, communicate with her. What is one of the things that you see in marriage counseling all the time? A wife and a husband get married, and now that the husband has uh, uh, gone through and uh, uh, the, the marriage has been, uh, uh, you know, the marriage ceremony has taken place, oftentimes husbands now shut down. They shut down, and they don't communicate, and they don't seek to understand. But here, uh, the Bible is calling us as husbands to dwell with our wives with understanding, with understanding. And another thing that he's calling us to do, uh, God is, uh, through his word, is to honor the wife. Honor the wife. Be courteous to the wife. Uh, Be kind to the wife. Don't uh, uh, give the wife a punch list of things to do every morning. And then when you come back, check the punch list to see if she's done everything. That is not authority or leadership in the home. No, husbands are to dwell with our wives with understanding, to get to know what makes them tick, what do they like, what do they don't like, what do they love in the Word, what are they uh, studying, what, what things do they love to do within the church, what are their gifts, what makes them tick there, what, what gets them excited about serving the Lord, 
and giving honor to the wife, just honoring them and being courteous and loving and sharing with them and, and seeing how you can help, not smothering, but being appropriately honorable to them and courteous. And doing this as to the weaker vessel. Now, to some, uh, people are going to have the hair on the back of their neck stand up. Oh, my goodness, are we saying that the wife is the weaker vessel? Well, it does say that here, but it doesn't mean inferior. It doesn't mean that you're less in the eyes of God. In Christ, we're equal. No, what this probably is talking about is one of two things. As to the weaker vessel, look at this. One, it might just mean physically. I, not all uh, uh, women are less physical or less or, or, or weaker in that sense physically, but generally uh, that's uh, how it is. And uh, uh, m- many men or men are uh, generally, in a general sense, you know, just physically stronger. But I don't know, maybe, maybe not. What else could it mean? Well, how about this? And I think this is almost, a, or not almost, I think this is a compliment. I think what the writer here is doing is complimenting the wife. In the sense that uh, the weaker vessel is more sensitive to the spiritual things. And I think that's, uh, uh, in broad strokes, really true. Ladies seem to be way more sensitive to spiritual things. They are in the Word. They're seeking the Lord. They're uh, finding the Lord. And men just sometimes tend to just go about their day and like a bull in a china shop, uh, knocking things out of the way and just uh, doing their life without seeking out the Lord. Well, you can even see it in the first book of the Bible. You know, when God, or excuse me, when the serpent came to uh, uh, Eve in the garden, you know what he did? He didn't say, hey, If you follow me or uh, do like me, you know what we could do? We could party and uh, just live a life of sin and it'll just be amazing and fun. No, you know what he said? He said something uh, that would appeal to that uh, spiritual sensitivity. You could know what God thinks or be like God. He appealed to that sensitivity to the spiritual side of a woman. And it's not then that she's weaker in a sense of inferior. No, I think what they're saying is she is this one that has this spiritual sensitivity and you should listen to her. You should listen to her. Not lord things over. No, you dwell with them in understanding and you honor your wife and you're courteous to her and you love her and you find out what makes her tick and see where her gifts are and... Ask her about the things of the Lord and share back and forth in that spiritual sensitivity that God's given her. And remember, folks, that both of you are heirs of the grace of life. She is an heir of the beauty of all that God is doing in that life. And you're an heir of the beauty of all that God is doing and that life. Remember, she's a daughter of the king first. And then she's your wife. She's your wife, but she's also a daughter of the king. She shares with you the grace of life, this beautiful thing. Well, it's a serious matter, husbands dwelling with them with understanding. Why is it a serious matter? It's serious because if you're not connected with your wife in the appropriate way, order in the home, um, look, look how serious it is. Your prayers may not 
be or, or may not be hindered. That your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, if you're not connected, your prayers will be hindered. And your prayers are going to be caught up and hung up. There's going to be this disconnect with God because there's this disconnect with the most important person in your life. Don't ever let the sun go down on your anger, right, husbands and wife? Well, look at this. In order to properly see the relationship of submission between a husband and a wife, you must turn to Ephesians 5. You can't do this without looking at Ephesians 5. There's another place in the Bible where Paul talks to us about what it is or what marriage is and what submission means. You got to go there. Well, the first thing I want you to see is in verse 21 of Ephesians 5. You understand that we're to submit to one another in the fear of God, just like in the uh, relationships that we talked about last week, if you think of your marriage relationship as you versus her or her versus him or vice versa, and you forget that you're leaving out a third person in your marriage, then you've got it all wrong. You see, you're submitting to one another. How? In the fear of God. In other words, God is always present in your marriage. He's present in our marriages. He's present there. And so, uh, many people leave out when we talk about uh, marriage, they leave out verse 21. But the first thing we must know is that we're to submit to one another in the fear of God. And now, Paul tells us the rest of the way in this chapter how it is that that is worked out in the life of two believers, a husband and a wife. Well, look at this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There he is again. There's the Lord. He's in your marriage. If you think about it as you versus him or he, uh, she versus him, whatever, one, two people against each other or on the opposite sides, you're never going to get this. No, the Lord is in your marriage. He's there. He cares about it. And you're to submit to your own husbands as you're submitting to the Lord. Someone has said, so you're telling me the way in which I submit to my husband or uh, order myself, uh, stay under his authority, is the, a litmus test for how I submit to the Lord? Well, the answer is, yeah, that is. Uh, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in some things. No, doesn't say that. It says in everything. But I must just show you one other verse. Turn with me, would you please, to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, we're heading over to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. This. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a woman is man and the head of Christ is God. If you want to see what headship or authority in the marriage looks like, or leadership in the marriage looks like, one of the things you could do is examine the headship, the headship of God in comparison to Christ. What do I mean? Well, it says there that God is the head of Christ, right? God is the head of Christ. So let's think about some of the things that Jesus says in the book of John. 
In John 10.30, look at this. Jesus said that I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. And so, uh, as God is the head of the church, or excuse me, God is head of Christ, uh, you start to see your identity, your identity. As God is the head of Christ, listen to this, there's this oneness, God and Christ, and there's this oneness now, as you are the head of your wife, and as the wife submits, there's leadership, and she comes under your authority, not in a, uh, uh, a spiritually superior way, but in an orderly way. Look at this. There's this sense in which there's this identity that we now share, and that's this, that God is taking two people physically, spiritually, emotionally, and any other way, and bringing us to the place where we become one. In fact, in verse 32, he calls this union what? The great mystery or the great mysterion. It's mysterious. Two people are becoming one. That's why you feel so bad when you fight, when you have disagreements. Why? Because when you fight and you think you're getting one over on your wife or the wife's getting one over on the husband, guess what? You're actually hurting yourself. Two become one. Well, what else uh, can we see from the relationship of God, the Father, and Jesus Christ? Well, in John 5, verse 17, Jesus said this, My Father works, and I work. Remember that? My Father works, and I work. There's this thing between the husband and the wife where they should be working and striving. Look at this. Together, there should be mutual cooperation and participation, working together, making decisions together, rowing in the same direction, not against each other. I'm afraid in many of our marriages, we have two people who are off in different directions. And yet, as we look as God as the head of Christ, and we examine that relationship in the book of John, Jesus said, my father works and I work. What else do we see if we look through the book of John? Well, John 8, verse 49, we've alluded to it earlier. Jesus says this, I always honor my Father. There's, there's honor. There's this um, uh, thing with the Father and Jesus in which he says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Remember that? And then the reciprocal, Jesus says, I always honor my Father. There's this mutual honor and respect and love and like and kindness to one another. We honor one another. In fact, in one place in the Bible, it tells us to outdo each other as Christians in honor. And that is the same thing for husbands and wife. Well, here's what we're doing. We're examining uh, the relationship between God and Christ. And if we do, we can see what it is to be the leader in our homes of our wives and for wives to be submitted uh, to their husbands or to submit actively on going to their husbands. Well, how about this one? Jesus said this, John uh, 14, 28, um, that he, he recognized that there was a difference in authority. My father is greater than I, he said. You see that? He, my father is greater than I. And I don't uh, say that to point out that uh, the husband is greater 
than uh, the wife, but what I uh, point that out for is that uh, Jesus recognized that there was a difference of authority here as he was on earth and as he uh, ascended unto heaven. He's the Father. I'm the Son. There's a difference of authority. It doesn't make one better than the other or, or uh, inferior to the other. It just means that there's a difference of authority. And he, always, and he says, I always do those things that please him, that please him. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, the husband doesn't do things that please the wife. No, in fact, the very opposite. He, as you'll see as we move through Ephesians 5, look at this. Verse 23, for the husband is head of the wife. We read that. We examined that God is the head of Christ, just like or now, like men are the head of their wives, not that they're gods. That's not what I'm saying. Not at all. We're uh, sinners saved by grace, just as we're co-heirs with our beautiful and lovely wives, right? And yet, there is this difference of authority uh, uh, as God has made several places in his kingdom in which uh, authority or order is necessary. It's different roles, It's not saying that anyone's superior than the other in Christ. In fact, as we move on to 25, you see, we forget uh, to read this part of of Ephesians 5. Because as wives are to submit to us and everything, you see, now he starts to talk, Paul does, to the husbands. See, husbands are to love our wives just as Christ also loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Well, he died for the church. In fact, it says here that he gave himself for her. Are we giving ourselves to her? Do we communicate with her? Do we talk with her? Do we open up to her? We uh, can't necessarily die for her, although if we were in some sort of nefarious situation, maybe we could, or we could uh, give an organ or something like that. Yet, we do give ourselves to her. We give ourselves to her physically, and we give ourselves to her emotionally. And I believe that that's what that's calling for there. We're to love our wives just as Christ also loved the church, willing to die for for her if necessary, and to give ourselves for her in all these ways. Why? That he might catch catch what we are to be consumed with, concerned about for our wives, men. We're to be ones who would sacrifice our needs and wants and desires for the good of her. That's what it says here. We give ourselves like Christ gives ourselves. And we are interested in that she would be washed by the water of the word and be sanctified. We, in one sense, are sanctified when we get saved. We're set apart. But in another sense, we're becoming more Christ-like as we study the word. Men, let's go. It's up to us. We're to be a great aid not an overlord. We're to be a great aid in helping get our uh, wives into the Word of God and obeying the Word of God. So I even just think about practical things like this one. For, don't, don't make your wife get the kids ready for Sunday, every Sunday. Make it easy for her. Get up early. 
Get her something to eat. Make her coffee. Get the kids bathed and dressed and get them in the car. Take it upon yourself and lead them in their appropriate and right way to church. And when you get to church, love on the others with a filled up spirit, a, a, a fresh filling of the spirit and love others and pray for others and fellowship with others and let your family see that Christ is all in all for you. Getting her washed in the water of the word. Why? So that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she be holy and without blemish. See, that's the heart of our Lord and Savior towards her. As you have the mind of Christ now, husbands, that should be our mind towards our wives. So husbands ought to love, verse 28, their own um, uh, wives as their own bodies. And yes, men love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We're called to leave our families, not to dishonor them in any way, but to live out the gospel in our marriage, not our in-law's marriage. Of course, we go to them for advice sometimes, but we work out our differences and our goals and our dreams and our aspirations and our God-given talents in the context of the marriage where two now have become one. These two people have leave, or left, they've left. <laughs> what a funny way of saying it. They've left their parents, and now this new thing is happening where they have now made their wife the most important person in the world, or their husband, and these two shall become one. This is a great mystery that he speaks concerning the church. Now look at this. Turn with me back to the book of First Peter. As we move through this, I want you to see how beautiful this relationship is. See, when we bring up submission with wives, um, we automatically start to uh, think of it as something that's controversial. But when you study the Bible, there's this beautiful relationship. Not one person is superior to the other. If he is or she, she, uh, she's treated that way, that's inappropriate. If he acts that way or she's treated that way, totally inappropriate. But what a uh, leader uh, does, as we've seen between the relationship between God and Christ, it's two people who honor one another, who consult one another, who pray with one another, who work together and who love one another and who recognize that there is this leadership uh, authority that the man is supposed to step into. But I want you to see this. The leadership authority is that he would be a great servant, not an overlord who asked people to get them food or run them this errand, but one who would serve his family and love his family and do what is best for his family and provide for his family and protect his family in the right and appropriate way, in a loving way, in a selfless way, seeking out the good of the others, especially his co-heir in grace. Why have I gone on and on about this? Well, it's because 
You see, in these times, just like G. Campbell Morgan said, as we sit here in this pandemic, or as we sit here in this United States of America, who's uh, this country and its people who have spiraled out of control and evil and sin. God is counting on several relationships in which your submission can be a shout or a proclamation to the world that you live by the dictates of God, filled up with the Spirit because of Jesus Christ, and that you are one who is a special people who proclaim the praises of the one who called them out of darkness into light. I'm quoting from chapter 2 of Peter. And as we go around and examine how we live in the ways in which we submit to government and our good citizens as best as we could be when, they, when it doesn't conflict with our kingdom rights, And when people look at how we work on the job and what we do at work and whether we get things done and we're responsible, see, all of these things, whatever we do, whether we serve in government or serve under the government or submit to employers, whatever, whatever we do, the Bible says, do it as unto the Lord. And now, he says, within your marriage, even in these times, people are all around looking for hope and peace and answers. And your marriage, my marriage, our marriages, guess what they do? They scream to the world that Jesus is alive. And he's working here. Folks, i got to tell you, my wife would probably say it better than I. Marriage is hard. It's difficult. You talk about taking living stones with rough edges of selfishness and self-centeredness. I'm talking about myself. God's calling us to a relationship with him and a relationship with the one who you live with all day, every day. It's difficult. It's hard. It's where the gospel is lived out in the mundane things of life. It's when you talk short to your spouse and you must ask for forgiveness. It's where you know you've uh, not uh, lived up to what God has called you to and you must humble yourself and go to him or her and uh, confess it. It's, It's hard and it's difficult and yet it's the most joyous, blessed union in that sense and that God can use it if he wishes to put you together in a marriage to make you, to fashion you, to Work on you to become more and more and more like his son. And oh, by the way, as he does this, the people that you are around, they're watching, they're looking. And you can impact them even through your marriage as we live according to the way in which he asks us to live out our marriages. Well, Finally, he says in verse 8, all of you be of one mind. Ones who have been saved by grace, who are being fit together into this special uh, uh, nation, this holy priesthood, right? Uh, These special people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, a chosen generation. As he is asking us by his grace to submit into these relationships, he's asking us also to come together of one mind in unity, having compassion for one another. 
having compassion, sympathizing with people, not blowing them off or saying they're uh, to get over it. No, just to have compassion in the church. And love as brothers, love as brothers, the Philadelphia love, brotherly love, and to be tender-hearted, tender-hearted, just let God work in there tenderly and, and, and speak to you about all the things that He can and can't do with you in your heart and then as you move out and love others and be courteous to people. I think if just in the Christian church, God would get a hold of us in this area, just being kind and courteous to people. Sometimes, I just got to be honest, Christians can be mean and mean to each other. We think because, I don't know, I don't know why it is, maybe the familiarity that we can do those sorts of things. And yet the Lord is calling to us to be courteous. And guy, uh, guys and gals, we can even be courteous when we disagree with people. We don't return evil for evil, verse 9, or reviling for uh, reviling. But on the contrary, blessing. We bless people. Let's be people that want to bless others, even when they hurt us. Let's bear long with people. That's what God's calling to us. And as I hear about this and see this and uh, uh, read these things, I say to myself, well, I can't do that. And that's right, I can't. But the Lord can as you yield to his spirit and as you let him live in and through you. Knowing that you were uh, not, re- or, excuse me, not returning evil for evil, reviling for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this that you may inherit a blessing. Listen, not only are you going to bless others, even when they're hard on you, not only are you going to bless God, you're going to bless yourself. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Now, he's quoting here from Psalm 34. Later, he's going to go to Psalm 37. But look at this, that he would love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. And his, James had a lot to speak about the tongue, didn't he? And his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. That's in Romans 12. You can see, read about that in verse 18. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord against, is against those who uh, do evil. Now, this is a fascinating psalm, Psalm 34. It's said that in 1 Samuel, it's set in the uh, scenario of 1 Samuel 21. Uh, In that psalm, it's believed that the backstory to that is that King Saul, who's the father-in-law of David, is out to kill David, out to kill David. And David goes and hides in a uh, uh, Philistine city. It's called Gath. And he starts to see that he has no way out, and he's wondering. Uh, people recognize him as the one who uh, uh, killed Goliath, and he's wondering, am I going to make it out? And it's really strange, because uh, David here claws his way out, acts like he's uh, frothing at the mouth and uh, having uh, issues, uh, uh, you know, emotionally or mentally, and he claws his way out from the city, and he goes on the run. And then... As he pens this, <laughs> he says these things, as I read to you earlier. He who would love life and see good days. In other words, even in the midst of kind of a rough time for David, and even in the midst of when, look at this, when David didn't even act 
appropriately. Uh, In the midst of pressures and tribulations coming against him, he could, like James, write these words that kind of spell out, like I said, what James says, to count it all joy. As he's fleeing, he could write these things. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace, pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Face of the Lord are against those who do evil. You get my point? Here's what I'm trying to get at. Here's what I'm trying to get at. In the midst of persecution and hard things, God is pointing to relationships that show Christians count it all joy and willingly submit to what I have for them, the Lord says, even in the midst of governments that are very difficult, even in the midst of very difficult employer-employee relationships, even in relationships where two people come together and live together and don't always agree on everything and are sharp in some ways, Even in the midst of that, or even in the midst of times when I personally, me, not the Lord, I act inappropriately or wrong or don't do the right thing, here's what I think they're saying. Go back and remember that life is so good, and watch what you say with your tongue, because it's not based about you or based on you and your circumstances. It's based on the righteousness of God. And when you see that, you see, you can come back or thrive in the middle of difficult circumstances. As the Lord allows you to focus your thoughts and preach to yourself about who he is. Now check this out. By his grace, who's made you what you are in Christ, not because of Uh, not because you or I or we are anything special or wonderful, but because he's perfect and majestic and great. (laughs) When our focus becomes that, see, we can stand in the middle of difficult circumstances. We can be stable, solid, thriving, victorious people who continue to stay under or abide in Christ. Well, as we uh, close now, uh, I just want to say if there's anyone out there who uh, is seeking a relationship with the Lord and they just don't know how, what what do I do? How do I come into the family of God? Well, what I want you to do is I want you to contact us. Our information is going to be at the end of this video. Please uh, get with us, call us, talk to us. Uh, we would love to hear from you and pray for you and with you and uh, talk to you more about this relationship. In the meantime, I'm praying for us as uh, husbands and as wives. How do we live our lives in the middle of a dark and hurting world that needs Jesus? Pray with me, would you? Well, Lord, we come together as brothers and sisters and we lift up this piece of Scripture and that's alive and active, Lord. And we pray that you would get into our hearts and do your mighty work in there. And Lord, help us to live these things out 
Lord, give us the resource and the ability. Help us to yield more and more to your spirit. Uh, Give us your mind and your wisdom so that we can live in the home in order and in love and honor with our spouses. Lord, give us a right perspective and help us live all these things out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.